Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 315 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with the very clever Alison Tate, who is back from her travels all over the world. Uh, how are you, Al? I'm very well. I'm back. I'm very yes. clever, which is always a good start. What you've been to up to? Come on, you're the one who's been jet setting. Well, well, I've been incredibly busy. Um, it's been a cra- It's actually been a very strange time because I've been in Europe. Um, I went to uh, to London. I spent time with family in the Netherlands. I went to Paris during the transport strikes. I went to um, Italy. I spent some time in Bergamo, which was amazing, with some friends of mine, and then a few days in Rome, you know, running past the Colosseum twice a day um, Mm -hmm. with the boys in tow, which was, you know, highly entertaining, I'm sure. And um, the, yeah, it's been amazing, but the whole time that I was there, the, you know, the south coast where I live was on fire, crazy Mm. on fire, to like the biggest fire that anyone's ever seen. Like it's extraordinary. And yeah, so it was weird, you know, because it was um, we were we were obviously having an amazing time. We were also very, you know, cool because it was mm. um, uh, not forty degrees there. Um, but we were really lucky because the the weather was extraordinary. Like it was, um, you know, somewhere between eight and fourteen most days, but no rain. We had two days of rain the whole time we were there. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't have any rain in Australia either. Mm. Um, so we had, the, you know, we were watching from afar these insane bushfires and, you know, mm. touching base with our house sitter and checking in on Procrastipup, who was staying on a mm. farm that was right in the in the fire zone. Um, so it was this weird mix of, of being relieved that I wasn't here and feeling guilty that I wasn't here and being worried that I wasn't here. And so, you know, and my, my you know, my family's here and my friends are mm. here. And so touching base with them constantly to make sure everybody was okay. And so, yeah, very strange. So on one hand, you know, I've seen the great artworks of the world and the architecture and, um, you know, eating all the food clearly, because that's what <laughs> you do, right? All the food. Um <laughs> And, you know, done all these amazing things and caught up with friends. And um, and then on the other hand, this, you know, insane crisis was happening at home. Mm. And, you know, the other thing about it that was really fascinating was being in Europe and watching the news every night while it was all happening because, of course, right. you get the, wow. you know, the Northern Hemisphere perspective and it honestly looked like the entire country was on fire. Like it just yeah. – and, and, you know, they kept showing these insane – you know, images of, of little firefighters with their mm. hoses and these, you know, 50 feet flames in front of them. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, a, it was a very interesting perspective on, you know, watching your country from afar, watching your mm. – we don't get political, but watching your prime minister from afar, mm-hmm. watching the response to that from afar, you know, it was highly interesting. Um, so, you know, we're back. We've been back um, about a week now. I'm only just yeah. getting over the jet lag. Honestly, we're flying yeah. back. You have not lived until you have done the 21-hour flight <laughs> direct, you know, with a little stopover in Singapore mm. with a 12-year-old who mm. is tired and jet lagged and whinging mm. and wanting to get off the plane and you just, you know. So mm. I've never been so relieved to get to Sydney yes. in my whole life, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but that's the worst part about you know, travelling from here is that you do all of these amazing things mm. and all you can think about when you first get home and all you can talk about is how hideous the flight is because, yes. it, I'm sorry, it, it, look, it has to just, it has to be endured because that's what you have to do, but it is just hideous. So, mm. you know, but in good news, I, I, um, I saw some amazing things and I, you know, like being. Highlights, being, highlight. what was your highlights? Of the amazing things that you saw. Well, what the highlights for you? me, the highlights for me are never, are never the, are never the expected thing. It's kind of like the, mm. it's the, the little stories that you hear about the places that you go. It's the random. So in Bergamo, which is this, you know, a town in North Italy up near Lake Como, I did go to Lake Como. I went to mm. Bellagio, um, and I was looking for George, but George, I think, had gone, you know, somewhere a lot nicer for the winter. Um, right. Yes. So. Uh, but no, it's where uh, Darth was... Vader got married. Did Darth Vader get married at Lake Como? Yeah, I didn't know that. There yeah. you go. Um, yeah. Anyway, I uh, there was a, an exhibition there about, of all things, um, historic antique maps. 
So, oh, wow. So, of course, I had to go along to that because, you know, how could I not go along to that? But, you know, we yeah. had some amazing f- meals. Like we just had some oh, fantastic yeah. lunches with people. And um, and then everywhere that you go, there's crazy historical details and little stories that all just go into the bank. Like they just mm-hmm. – I've just come back, you know, full of inspiration of, of – of things that I saw and things that I heard and people that I saw. But I will say this also. So it's been a while since I've been to Europe. It's probably been about 10 years or so. And um, the thing that really struck me about it compared to the last time that I was there was just the sheer number of visitors. And, you know, you read about tourism and its impact on on those European cities, you know, obviously Ooh. like Venice is the one that really hits the the headlines on a regular basis and stuff. But I was in Amsterdam and last time I was in Amsterdam, um, you know, Book Boy was, I don't know, three, two or three. Um, mm. And now he's, you know, 16. So we're talking 13 years ago. Um, mm. But, you know, we were pushing him around Amsterdam in a pram and it was, it was doable. Like it was, it was, you know, it was a thing. Um, you, we struggled to walk around because there were so many people like so many people and this is the middle of winter like this is winter I cannot imagine what it's like there in some of those places in summer I can see Mm. why people are just like um you know why uh people who live like locals who live there are just going we can't you know we can't do this anymore we can't do this tourism anymore because the onslaught the number of people is just crazy so those are the kinds of things that I those are the, those feelings. That's the kind of stuff that I really take note of. The other thing I really took note of, and I am rambling, and this is my last story, I promise, <laughs> was that I went to um, I went to Zealand, and now Zealand is um, is 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 the section of the Netherlands that has been um, you know largely reclaimed from the sea. So they've pushed back the dikes, you know, over yes. a thousand years, and have re- re- reclaimed all of this land, and they have like a massive massive, um, it's called, I can't think of the name of it because I'm having a total mental blame, but there's a huge wall there that keeps the sea out. But when you're on that wall and you actually drive along it because it's, you know, it's a, it's a, stand, it's a big thing, um, you you have like essentially like cows on down a ditch on the right-hand mm. side mm. and on the left-hand side you have the whole entire, you know, North Sea. You have the sea. Mm. Yeah. And all I could think about was these people who live in the shadow of all of that water. Yeah. And all of that water is kind of kept back by obviously now technology and extraordinary gates and engineering and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a museum that you go to there and uh, I think it was 1953, the, the seawall failed and the, oh. the, the ocean, like the sea came in. And I think it's a big, uh, it's a huge part of Holland's, you know, of the Netherlands, um, you know, collective history. Um, but like 2,000 odd people, you know, died. They were washed away. Mm. Villages were washed away. Mm, Entire, yeah. you know, communities were washed away by this. And um, and having sort of like gone to that museum and seen that and then had that sense of – because it was really funny because I, we were taken by a local and I said to him, how do you live with this? How do you live yeah. with that notion of that all of that water? And he said, I'm just really surprised that you noticed it mm-hmm. um, because we don't think about it. And, oh. you know, I, they don't because they've all grown up with it and it's just yeah. what it is. And and that's what we were talking about it. And I said, that's why when you write a story, you often write it from the perspective of someone new coming mm. into a place because mm. people who are new to a place notice things that yes. people who have grown up with, it's just their backdrop. They don't even see it, you know. Um, yep. And so that's why, you know, for Australians, for example, like everyone overseas goes on about our poisonous snakes and our, you know, <laughs> funnel webs and our whatever. And we go, what are you talking about? <laughs> because, <laughs> yes, they're, yes, they're there, but you just don't think about them because they're, yeah. they're just sort of there and if you leave them alone, they hopefully leave you alone. And, <laughs> and, and, that, and, and it was that, you know, it was that sort of thing but from, um, from the perspective of whatever. Anyway, so I'm rambling. But that's, that was kind <laughs> of – that's the kind of stuff that, that I – that impacts on me and that's the kind of stuff that I bring home and, you know, festers away in the back of my mind until it appears in a story at some point. So, I just think wow. it's so important to experience um, new things, and obviously that's exactly what you've done to like to the nth degree because you're mm. away for so long. But it's it's just so good to uh, it, put yourself into a position, and if you don't have that 
opportunity to go to Europe, put yourself into a different position in um in the in the city that you're in. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Just yeah. you know, it's it's like it's your idea. You know, that was a fairly extreme creative date um, mm, with my yes. family, <laughs> and I think that you know, Book Boy Junior would be very happy if we were not to do look at another painting for right. at least another ten years. Um, <laughs> Because you know we did all the big museums and everything, but you know the impact of that on even on him, who mm. you know, twelve rolls, eye rolls, whatever the whole bit, mm-hmm. um, is just immeasurable. You just you don't even understand how what an impact that kind of stuff has on you until later when you're working on something or doing mm. something or thinking about something else. And so, specifically uh, as a writer, make sure that you really turn on your your um, powers of observation because as yes. Alison said. It's that whole experiencing something fresh and be a, being able to describe the feelings and describe the things that you notice is so important when you are creating certain worlds or scenarios or scenes, you know, depending on your character as well. Well, that's but, right because those little details, it's, it's those little details of that like, feeling of that ocean yes. possibly coming in on your head, that's what makes your world come to life. Absolutely. The tiny details. Big worlds are built on tiny details. Right. All what right. have you been doing? Oh, goodness me. <laughs> Maybe we better save that for the next episode. In the next episode, we'll discuss it. Oh, it's six months of summer. It's um, insane. Anyway. Well, actually, I just had the media launch for the Sydney Lunar Festival and um, uh, that some, got, got some good coverage with the Sydney Morning Herald and Channel 9 and Channel 10 and SBS and um, various television um, stations. And... Um, uh, what's been happening? So then we're going to have a big kickoff this week um, on Saturday at uh, in the city, and that's going to be we're, there's going to be Sydney's biggest ever block party. So <gasps> it's we're closing down roads and having carnival rides and food trucks and performances and a whole uh, your performances not only on stage but roving in the in in the crowd as well. And that's going to be um, called Lunar Lanes. Because um, then you can go down all the little laneways to experience lots of different things. Anyway, if anyone's interested, just go to sydneylunarfestival.com. And but you should go. If you've never been before, here's a creative date opportunity for you. Yes. Get yourself along. Experience Val's exciting work. In fact, you can have three weekends worth of creative dates because it's going to span the next three week, three, three week. Well, it's spanning 16 days, but that spans three weekends. Wow. And, um, yeah, there's going to be art installations, exhibitions, all sorts of things. But let's move on to the world of writing and publishing. And one of the things that we want to mention is um, a blog post that's actually on the Australian Writers' Centre blog, and it's called Your 20 Words to Live By in 2020. Because at the beginning of the year, we asked you to let us know your one-word theme for the year. And uh, lots of people sent in their their one word their one word and the stories behind it, and um, here are some of the words that stood out. Now, the very first one I like a lot because it's action. A lot mm. of people chose action, and I think that's really good. And January is the great uh, is a great time to take action because there's all those things that you wish you had already done, but you hadn't because life got in the way. You wanted to edit your manuscript, you wanted to get your novel to twenty thousand words, you wanted to write that article, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think that action is a very good theme, and if you've got uh, action as your theme, I wish you the best of luck because I think that this is a to me that's a top word top word it is good but I also I like I actually also like word number two as well which is perseverance because to me that is you know action is amazing but you have to keep going it's got to be you know a committed action it's got to be perseverance it's got to be persistence you know writing Mm. is a marathon not a sprint etc 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 and um so for me perseverance is a great you know being able to just keep going um in the face of all that life throws at you over the course of a year because it does um is the key to actually getting you know that getting that novel written or contacting those agents or, you know, doing whatever it is that you have chosen as your, you know, particular goal for the year. So perseverance for me is an awesome one. 
Mm. Another one I like is opportunity because I think that uh, you not only need to be able to put yourself in a position that you're open to opportunities and you can see opportunities, but if you do see the opportunity, you need to take action. Otherwise, that opportunity is going to pass you by, right? So if you have the opportunity to enter that short story competition or to, you know, take up a gig that you think might be beyond you or that is a stretch for you, you know, hey, stretch. Take action and stretch. So I think that opportunity is um, is also a big one. But I want to ask you, Al, what's your word? I knew you were going to ask me that. Ha, and you ha, know ha. I don't have one. I don't oh. do resolutions. I don't do words. I don't do any of those things. I just I just get on with it. Is there a word for that? <laughs> mm, I <Ow>. guess. <laughs> it's called get on with thingness. Get, getting on with knitness. <laughs> and there is our word of the week for this week. Um, do you have one? What is your word of the week? I have three. Oh, not a word of the week, word of the year. Three? Yes. I don't know yes. if you're allowed to have three, are you? Well, I do. So okay. one is grow because I want to grow, you know, as a person and also as my skills and, you know, grow, right? Mm, grow, um, yeah. Grow is good. And but not in the garden because, as we've discussed oh, at yeah. length in the past, it's not really your strong suit, but not whatever. Yeah, grow. Not point at all. Um, uh, simplify because sometimes mm-hmm. it's easy to, for or any of us to overcomplicate things and to overthink mm-hmm. things and to think, mm-hmm. oh, that takes 16 steps to get there when, in fact, it could take two. So... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> When I'm embarking on a project or or an idea, I need to think to myself, have I actually thought of a complicated way? So simplify. And um, my third word is enjoy because I think it's very important to enjoy things and to identify the things that you just think you should do or you're obligated to do or you're just doing and you actually really don't want to do them. So, yeah, grow, simplify and enjoy. Very nice. See, this is why you're a wordsmith because you have three words and I have none. So I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, um, speaking of short stories, which you did mention as as potentially being a a goal for people for this year, um, Mm. the wonderful people at Aerogram Studio, uh, aerogramstudio.com, and that's Aerogram with a double M-E in case anybody Mm. needed to check that. Um, Aerogram Writer Studio, they have uh, put together a very, very good list, a guide to short story contests in 2020. Now, mm. we'll put the link in the show notes, but you will find them at Aerogram Writer Studio. And um, it's like it's got for the entire year. So you can choose one for mm. June and start working on it now. You, If you have a story ready, you can find one that's ready to go, you know, by the end of January. Um, they are open. Some of them are open worldwide. Some of them are open only in the US. Some of them are like they, it's a worldwide list and it is extremely comprehensive. So with uh, closing dates, prize money, like the whole you know, kit and caboodle is um, is listed here. So very much worthwhile having a look at that and like looking at whether there might be sort of some kind of major short story prize that you might like to have a crack at this year. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes. Yep, of course, you'll find that at soyouwanttobearawriter.com.au. And of course, if you are going into some short story competitions, then the ideal thing for you to check out is our course, Short Story Essentials, which is a self-paced course, which will literally guide you from the beginning, middle and end of your short story. You will end up with a about a two and a half thousand word short story at the end, and you also get an assessment on it. So if you want to get that assessment so you can tweak it and refine it and polish it before you send it off to one of these short story competitions, um, then make sure that you check out this course, which you can find at um, writercenter.com.au slash short story. I'm actually thinking about about getting that course for Bookboy because he's going into year 11 this year and um, he's doing, you know, advanced English, et cetera, at at school and he is a is a good writer um, but they have to write like creative writing is a big aspect of what they do in year 11 and year 12 and I think that anything that teaches you how to craft a story beginning mm. middle and end making yes. sure that you have all the things I, I just I, I feel like something like that a very specific you know because a short story course I think would be invaluable for anyone, you know, in oh, that, yeah. you know, at that point in their schooling career. So, I'm giving some serious thought to, um, you know, landing that on him at some point soon. 
yeah, it's it's um it literally leads you step by step. So mm. and, and makes you think of well, what does the character need to do next or whatever. So mm. yeah, it's really good. All right. Cool. So there's also the text prize. Yes, it's open. The annual text prize for young adult and children's writing is open for Australian and New Zealand writers, you, you know, in this area. It's um it's in its 13th year. It is a major prize in this area. It is really really worth considering if you are writing um you know middle grade or young adult or uh, fiction. The winner receives a publishing contract and a $10,000 advance against royalties. Um and it gets a lot of uh, the winner gets a lot of uh, press. A lot there's a lot of promotion around it. Mm. It's a prestigious prize so if this is a an area that you're targeting if this is something that you're writing um give some serious thought to getting that manuscript into this particular prize submissions close on friday the 7th of february so you would need to be you know at a point where you've got something that you've been working on or you you know it's you know you've been editing like you want to make sure it's polished Give it a crack because it's really like it's a fantastic start for um a children's or young adult writer Yep, brilliant. All right, now we want to let you know about um, if you want a little bit of a kickstart to your creativity and your writing mojo, a popular popular motivation event, Mojo Month, is back and it's going to kick off on the 1st of February. It runs all month long and it helps you to leap into 2020 because it is a leap year this year, right? It's designed to give you the tools to beat procrastination and the tasks to invigorate your writing routine. So what it is, it's a daily hit of motivation for less than a coffee a day. And one of the best things is you have a community of other Mojo peeps along for the ride. So basically everyone does Mojo Month together. Everyone does each day together. And it's really great community who cheer each other on. So you don't want Mojo FOMO. The doors are (laughs) going to close on the 30th of January. So to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash mojo. Now let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of Inner Worlds, Outer Spaces, Working Lives of Others by Keridwen Dovey, and you can win one of these three copies. What does it feel like to be passionate about your daily work? How do people find their way into fascinating, unusually fulfilling careers, even against the odds? Space lawyers and bibliotherapists, euthanasia activists, and women's rugby champions, sharp experts and solar power visionaries, a master perfumer, and a moon dust maven, among many others. What all of these people have in common is the courage to pursue their dreams and obsessions, no matter how niche or particular, and transform them into their life's work. Delving into the working lives of others for publications as diverse as The New Yorker, The Monthly, and Wired, Keridwen Dovey's inquisitive, thoughtful approach has allowed her to explore fields of knowledge and expertise that are often inaccessible to outsiders. And even though I have not read the book yet, I'm going to because Keridwen is an absolutely fantastic writer. Um, mm. So make sure that you, you know, enter this competition for your chance to win one of three copies of Inner Worlds, Outer Spaces, Working Lives of Others. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win and uh, follow the instructions. Entries close on the 27th of January. So that's writercentre.com.au slash win. Now, Al, it's been five weeks since you've heard me say this. But. Oh, my Lord, have I missed it. (laughs) Yeah. Are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, you know, I saw a post about this the other day and I was just like, I've got another 52 words of the week coming up (laughs) and I could not be more excited. Excellent. That was the right answer. The word of the week this week is numinous. 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 Sounds like luminous, but it's not. It's numinous. So now this might sound like it refers to a lot of something, you know, like numerous, but Mm. don't let that fool you. No, I would never do that. (laughs) In fact, this adjective describes something with a strong spiritual or religious quality that arouses elevated feelings of awe. So, in fact, you might have experienced um, uh, this word when you were overseas because someone visiting the Sistine Chapel or perhaps a strong spiritual landmark such as Uluru may be struck by its mysterious, numinous beauty. Or, hey, maybe if you think the moon is particularly bright and awe-inspiring, it could be a luminous 
numinous for oh, stop. <laughs> stop. Immediately stop. <laughs> We're going to leave that right there. Anyone out there having luminous, numinous experiences, please share them because we would love to hear more about them. Exactly. Well, that people will soon. There will be a full moon soon because it's a Sydney Lunar Festival, right? So they oh, will. Oh, right. Mm. Go and have one at the Lunar yes. Festival. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice segue, Val. Very good. Uh, oh, all right. So who's our writer <laughs> in residence this week, Al? Our writer in residence is the lovely Pamela Cook, um, and we had a fantastic talk because she is a um, best-selling author of, of sort of rural romance, and she has mm. uh, brought out many commercially um uh, you know, successful novels over the over the past few years, but she has also just recently indie published a book, and um, so we had a really great conversation about, you know, what she's learned from that experience and and you know all the various aspects of it. So, enjoy. Pamela Cook is the Australian author of four novels described in the business as rural fiction with romantic elements, and one novel, her latest, called Cross My Heart which she describes as similar but different. Pamela is also the co-host of the Rights for Women podcast, so of course she's all over the podcasting thing, and we would like to welcome her to our podcast today. Hi, Al. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right, so we're going to go back a little bit in time, as we like to do. We like to get in the time machine first. And can you tell us your sort of story to publication journey? How did your first novel, Blackwattle Lake, come to be published? Okay, yeah. So Blackwater Lake uh, was a result of a nano. Uh, oh, nano Okay. It was. Uh, it was the first novel that I'd, you know, written in, in such a short period of time. So I did the 50,000 words for Nano and didn't do that much more sort of in the December or January following, but I did expand it a bit. I had previously spent uh, about six or seven years probably on a more literary style novel and then a friend suggested doing Nano and I thought, oh, first I thought, no, I can't do that. There's no way I could write 50,000 words in a month. Uh, But then I thought, well, I may as well give it a go and see what happens. And I think as so often happens is that first novel was obviously the learning novel for me where I did spend all those years learning. I'd I'd done a master's in creative writing and that's where the idea for that particular book had come from. And, you know, I learned all about writing and revision and lots of other things. And when I sat down to write Blackwater Lake for the Nano, it just basically wrote itself. It was amazing. I started with this image of a woman at a a gate of a rural property because we were into horses by this stage, my family, in a big way. And this story just came out and um, it didn't go away. It stayed in my head. And over the course of the next 12 months, I sort of spent time revising it and brushing it up. And then I entered the Hachette Manuscript Development Program. Okay. uh, And that yeah, that was where um, you apply. You sent 50 pages and then if they liked it, they wanted to see the rest, which, of course, I hadn't actually revised the rest. So then I had a mad 48 hours of revision when they did request it. Um, and I was very lucky or fortunate to be chosen as one of nine people that went off to Queensland, to the Queensland Writer Centre for the weekend with the publisher who had already read the manuscript and wow. gave me a little bit of feedback on it. I came back, did some more revision, sent it off, and then about six weeks later got a lovely phone call saying they wanted to publish it. Well, that's a bit exciting. It was exciting. I think that's one of our best journeys to publication stories yet. You had it all. You had NaNoWriMo, you had the competition, you had everything. That is fantastic. Um, yeah. But let me just go back briefly into the yep. kind of into the earlier novel that you wrote for six mm-hmm. to seven years. Um, what? Where is that novel now? Is that in a drawer? Will that ever be seen again? Like now that you know what you know about writing, you know, all of the many novels that you've written, do you have you read that novel again? I haven't actually read it again, but the novel that I've recently started and I'm working on this month for Nano uh, has a lot of similarities to that first novel. So I was actually just thinking this morning, I might pull that out of the drawer and just see what's there. I mean, it was, uh, as I said, a much more sort of literary style novel because it did come out of a master's where I'd done, you know, poetry and all that stuff. It has got some poetry in it. It's partially set in, well, it's largely set in Nepal, actually. Um, And I did, you know, at the time I did sort of send it off to a few people and started getting a a little bit of feedback. But 
What I found when I started writing Blackwater Lake um, was that my voice had changed. So I think in that first novel, because I'd laboured it over it so much and thought it had to be a particular style of writing and, you know, had to be a quite literary, you know, tome, if you like, I don't think that was my natural voice. Um, okay. So even though I learnt a lot from it, once I then just sat down and let go of a lot of that, you know, thoughts about what I had to write or what I should write, I think my natural voice sort of did then just come out. Do you think it was just that kind of that forward momentum of having to write the 1,667 words a day or whatever it is that you didn't have time to think about how to kind of change it to a writerly literary sort of style, that it was just had to be what it was as it came out? Do you think that that's why you got in mm. touch with a different voice there? Yeah, I do, Al. I think um, I think that having to sit down and really having to let go of that perfectionism and that sort of constant revision that I guess I'd been doing just to get the perfect word, like I'm not, you know, revision of course is important but not at that point. And I think by just sitting down and forcing myself to just write and see what comes up, I think a lot of things happen, you know, you tap into your subconscious, um, you sort of do have to let go of a lot of that fear of, you know, is this the right word? Is that sentence beautiful? Um, and it does push you through the story. And I just kept thinking, uh, you know, if I got stuck, I'd just say to myself, well, two things, what happens next and how can I make it worse for the character? And <laughs> those two things just pushed me through and, and helped me to find the plot. Because I think my first plot, my first novel was very, very character-based to the point where the plot probably would put you to sleep. Um, right. So I really was working more on the whole plot side of things in that nano novel. Is that because – so that's an interesting thing because that's the, the that's often I think um, I've got several friends – who write in a much more literary style and I know that often with their first drafts and stuff, there's no story. Like it's beautiful. It's all gorgeous mm. and lovely and we're swimming in gorgeousness. But it's like, well, what happens? Nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for, for you to suddenly be focused on plot going forward, um, was that the kind of books you were reading? Like where has that come from for you to kind mm. of like have tapped into that? Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because I've historically I've been a very literary reader. You know, my my bookshelves have you know lots of Tim Winton and sort of a lot of classics, um, that sort of thing. And I guess I hadn't really. Th I mean, all those books do have a, a much stronger plot than probably the one that I'd written first. Um, but I read a lot of poetry and that sort of thing. And I guess I just thought in my head that's what I should write. Yeah. So. When I then, you know, obviously over that period of time in writing that first book, I'd learnt a lot of about the writing craft and it wasn't that I was trying to write a plotless novel. You know, it did have a storyline, but it was it was just probably not one that really, you know, kept drawing you in. So yeah. it's it's for me it was about getting that balance between a character-driven story um, where the plot comes out of the character situation and you know, putting the obstacles in front of the character and all that sort of thing. So I still feel like my novels are fairly character-driven. Yeah. But, yeah, there's certainly a lot more emphasis on plot than I would have originally had. Okay. So then has your writing process changed then? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, when you kind of like throw yourself into a story for Nano, that's a different mm. process to what you did with the literary sort of style thing. But how do you go about writing a book? these days are you still are you still kind of using that nano blueprint of like bashing out a first draft and and seeing how it goes mm. oh, that's a good question it's been different for every novel I have to say um for my first four books I was uh well after the first one was published I was then contracted for the next three so uh I had a deadline right. which was fabulous yeah um I'm really good with a deadline I'm so not great with that one sorry you were contracted for three after your first one mm. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, not three at once. Oh, I was going to say, like, that's yeah. intense. Yeah. So after each book came out, I then got a contract for the next one before I'd written it. Yeah, okay. So I sort of wrote over six years I wrote f four books. Yeah. Um, there wasn't The first couple came out, um, you know, within 12 months and then there was a slightly longer gap between yeah. the next ones. Um, so, yeah, having a deadline was, was great. Um, and, yeah, look, I, I still do think that that, and I do try and do not necessarily the the 
50000 in a month thing, um, but certainly getting that first draft out reasonably quickly, you know, within, say, a few months uh, and then giving myself plenty of time for revision. Yeah. So are you planning them before you, you know, are you writing a synopsis before you start? Is that is that how that sort of process works? Do you know exactly what's going to happen or are you kind of, you know, coming up with random woman at gate and where does yeah. she go from there? Is it, is it, is it more of a process like that? Look, I am a pantser by heart, yeah. but um, because, you know, Hachette had wanted to know what was what did, was did I have in mind for the next novel, well, often the answer, immediate answer to that was no idea. Yes. <laughs> so I would have to just come up with something. And and for the first, the second novel, uh, S is Way, I actually dug into some fragments of writing that I'd done and mashed a few couple of characters together and that actually turned out quite nicely. Um, but I... Yeah, it's it's. Sorry, I've lost track of the question. <laughs> it's okay. So have I. I can't remember. I think we were talking about pa- uh, pantsing oh, writing and process. yeah, and have you actually put together? You know, do you do a synopsis before you start? Oh, yeah. So so they would. Uh, my publisher would ask me for a s- synopsis. Yeah. Even if it was a rough one on what I had in mind for yeah. the next novel. Yeah. Um, and that was always sort of vaguely. I always tend to know the beginning and the end. I don't quite know how you're going to get to the end. Yeah. Um, and I often find that when I look back at the synopsis, once the novel has, you know, been completed and revised, there's quite a lot of changes from that yeah. original idea, but at least I've got some sort of vague outline. Yeah, okay. So your first four books were published with Hachette Australia, mm-hmm. but you have indie published your similar but different new novel, Cross My Heart, which is out now. Why have you chosen to do that? Um, well, it's a slightly different genre. Well, it is a different genre from my point of view. So the first four books were marketed by Hachette as rural romance mm-hmm. uh, and they were definitely rural and after the first one they definitely had a romantic element, as you mentioned, uh, so there was a thread of romance. I had this idea for this particular story, Cross My Heart, which doesn't have any romance in it and in my mind, my books have always been more about the woman's story, you know, what happens to to the woman with her friendships, her family relationships, that sort of thing, and the romance, ha- romance has been a more secondary element. Um, so I really wanted to write this particular story about f- friends, and I did approach my publisher with it. Um, they didn't really see that it fitted into the genre that I wrote for them in, um, mm. so they weren't overly excited about it, um, did suggest that I maybe go on and write something else. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought about that, but I'd written a, a lot of this story. I was really drawn to these characters and I really wanted to see if I could do them justice, I guess, in a yeah. way, and do the storyline justice that I had in my head. So I had a few friends that had done the indie thing um, and I just thought, you know, they talked about having more creative control and being able to write the story you actually really want to write and get out there. And I thought, well, why not? I'll give it a go. I'd learnt a lot over the years about publishing and, you know, all the ins and outs of it. So, yeah, I just – that's what I did. Okay. Well, before I explore um, the indie publishing process with you a little bit more, why don't mm-hmm. you tell us about Cross My Heart? Give me the pitch, the elevator okay. pitch. All right. Um, So Cross My Heart is a story about friendship uh, and it's a woman who her best friend from childhood dies and she has made a pact or an agreement, if you like, to be the godmother or the guardian for this child if anything happens to the mother. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been 10 years. The girl is now 10 years old and the two women have drifted over that time. So they haven't really seen each other. The main character, Tess, doesn't really know the young girl, Grace, because she hasn't seen her since she was four years old. She's now 10. Um, And the friend dies in sort of mysterious circumstances and she does take on this child. It causes ruptures in her marriage and with her family and there's also a secret from the past that happened and the two friends had decided not to ever talk about it but being around the daughter brings up all these memories from her past that she then has to deal with Mm. okay that was a good description but you do need to work on your elevator pitch (laughs) it's Mm, a little bit longer shorter (laughs) i know (laughs) No, but good description. All right, so given your experience with the traditional publishing process, do you think you were prepared for indie publishing? Like was there anything about it that surprised you? Um, 
Look, I think I was fairly prepared for a lot of it, uh, certainly in terms of, you know, having to uh, – obviously I worked with a lot of editors, all that side of getting the book ready for publication. Um, things like having to make decisions about covers, um, mm. while that was great in one sense because you do have control, <laughs> there's also that scary thing that, oh, what if I don't choose the right one? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Is this yeah. really representing what I'm trying to get across? Um, the other thing that I wasn't – uh, ready for, and I did actually outsource this, was all the sort of uploading of the books to the various online platforms, you know, mm-hmm. Amazon and Kobo and Apple. Um, but certainly in terms of the marketing, which I'm sort of on that end of it now, I guess, uh, there was a lot that I had learnt, uh, and I'm also finding there's a lot that I still do need to learn about getting the book out to the people that you, you want it to reach. Okay, so... Is there a lot of research involved in that? Like are you finding that you're having to relearn or learn a whole different facet of of publishing that you sort of hadn't really thought about before? Yes, so I have learnt a lot. I've done um, some investigation and some reading and some, you know, looking up of stuff online. I've also spoken to a lot of author friends who have done the indie thing themselves and, and you know, as you know, Al, the online not just the online, but the actual in-person Australian writing community is very supportive and very helpful. Uh, and, you know, all those great connections that I've made through the first four books that I've published traditionally have, have been really good in, you know, making connections with different people who are more than willing to help. So it's been really good to be able to call on some of those people when I just go, ah, I don't know what to do at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that does like the power of networking as far as, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff is, you know, finding people who know what you don't know, um, finding people who are willing to help you sort of promote or get the word out about your books. Um, is that something that like, have you ever actively thought about that as a as a strategy? Or is that just a natural thing that's occurred over the course of your career? Mm. Look, I think it's just really uh, occurred naturally. You know, like I've been writing a part of the Australian writing community now since 2012, so or 2011, I guess, in in the published sense, and you know, probably for about eight years prior to that, in various writing groups and things. So I have met loads of people over the times. So I've been to lots of RWA conferences. And I think there is just this willingness there that, you know, when people have a book out or they have, you know, any sort of publication or anything like that out, everybody is more than happy to support each other and to help each other promote their work. You know, put it up on Facebook, put it on Instagram, talk about it on social media, do blog posts, that sort of thing. I think it's um, just, yeah, sort of happened fairly naturally. And I've been really appreciative with this book particularly because, when you are indie, of course, you're doing all that side of it yourself as well as, you know, the getting it ready for publication. Yeah. So it's been really great to have that support. So what are some of the ways in which you have promoted your books? Like, like it is, has it been something that you, like, did you start, you know, two months out from when the book was due and did you have some, you know, a plan in mind as to what you were going to do and that kind of stuff or has it been more of a piecemeal meal ad hoc thing with your – because you have the podcast, you're, you're obviously active on Facebook, mm. Twitter and things like that. You know, is like I guess the question is are you doing more now than you had to before? Yes, I am doing more. Um, and I did, I did start – it was probably about six weeks before publication for this one because – it was going to it was coming out after it had been uploaded onto the platform and I had advice to say don't do any publication till you put the cover up and don't put the cover up until it's actually, you know, out on Amazon for pre order and all that sort of thing. Right. So I had a fairly um intense window of sort of pre publication promotion. Mm-hmm. Um and that was great. In that time I did manage to get some print copies I sent those to, you know, pretty much all my writer friends who were great and put it up on social media. Um, I've printed off sort of little cards and bookmarks and things. Every time I've sent a book out, I've put that in there and with the links for reviews. Um, and it's been lovely. I've been getting some really great reviews, not just from friends either, from um, <laughs> from book reviewers, from bloggers and from people who have read the book, you know. Uh, I'm selling it through my website. so. Yeah. People which are is, able to buy it on there. What is your which website? Which is uh, pamelacook.com.au. So signed copies available there. And, yeah, it's just been it's been really interesting to, 
use the information and the knowledge, I guess, that I had already had about promotion, but also then to expand on that and to look for other ways of, of getting it out there. Because if readers don't know about the book, they can't buy it. Mm. So, and when it's not, you know, all my previous books had been available in the chain stores. So, you know, mainly through Big W, Target, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, this one isn't. So it's a matter of letting readers know where it is available and trying to make sure they've got all the information to be able to purchase it. So do you have a newsletter like that you've been working on for a couple of years in the sense of being able to contact those readers directly as well? Yeah, I do. And I have to say, I've never been very good at building up that whole emailing list thing, but um, that's now certainly a priority. Mm. (laughs) So I do have a newsletter that people can sign up to on my website and I've got to, you know, do a little bit more work on that side of things as well. Okay. And as far as like when it comes to indie publishing and stuff like that, are there um, traditional media sort of opportunities for you as well? Have you sent out media releases? And I mean, I'm just thinking about like all the different things that a publisher does as far as, you Mm. know, getting your book out there and all the different things that you can do yourself. Um, Is it the kind of thing where you've, you've really got to actually sit down and create yourself a marketing plan? Yeah, yeah, you do. And I I have a friend who is a writer and also a publicist. So uh, I've been working with her. So I basically hired her to help me with this, which has been great. Yeah. Um, And she has a lot of connections that I I don't have. Uh, So I have done a few radio interviews, for instance. I've got another one tomorrow, which actually came up via um, a contact on Instagram. So that's where I'm finding that things like, you know, social media, Often you get opportunities that you're not expecting. You know, people get in touch when they see you've got a new book out and say, oh, would you like to be on this show or this podcast or would you like to do something for my blog? So so I have had some of those opportunities, which has been really great. Um, There is the other side, I guess, where you've got to be very careful that, um, you know, the whole self-publishing stigma, I guess, uh, Mm. is still around to some extent. Yep. Yeah. So you have found that because a lot of people um, that I've talked to with regards to indie publishing will say that that's definitely, you know, much less than it used to be. I think it is much less um, and I think there's certainly a lot of sort of online places now where it it doesn't matter if you're traditional or indie. Mm. I think in traditional bookstores there's still a little bit of a thing. You know, I went into a local bookstore and sort of as soon as I I could see the the change in expression, as soon as I mentioned the word indie published, um, you know, they did did still take a few copies. But And look, I get it. There's lots of books out there. They don't have much shelf space. But um, but I, I do think that having had that four books already traditionally published has been to my advantage as well because you know people a lot of booksellers do know me at least they've sold my previous books so that has been a great advantage all right so you mentioned that you're working on a new novel given how busy oh no wait a minute before I get to that I want to talk to you about your podcast Mm -hmm. how long have you been doing your rights for women podcast and what why did you start that yeah, well, Rights for Women probably started a couple of years ago and it came basically out of a conversation between Kel, my co-host, and myself where Kel was uh, a new writer. She's working on her second book now, uh, but at the time working on her first book, she knew that I had written a number of books and was published and so she used to, you know, we have conversations about writing and then inevitably get on to conversations about women. It was around the time that Trump had just been elected so there, there was, you know, a lot of stuff in the media about feminism and, and women's voices and Kel was very familiar with podcasting and said, hey, we should do a podcast on women women's voices in writing. I had never listened to a podcast at that point I have to say <laughs> not uh, even my podcast Pamela come on oh sorry Al I think I had <laughs> I think I might have listened to that one but you know I wasn't a podcast aficionado like yeah. her was yeah and um yeah I, I in my usual manner I just went yeah why not so uh we started just doing you know recordings and now we're sort of at the point we've just launched a new website and we're getting you know contacted by publishers to have their their authors on the program and we've really it's taken us a while but we've sort of really narrowed down what we're all about and it's been great to actually you know spend part of your working week speaking to other writers about their process and about their books 
yeah, it's going really well. So how do you think that that has impacted on your writing career? Because there's kind of two strains to that in the sense that it's created a platform for you in a different kind of way to, um, you know, to what your mm. books do or what your, you know, website might do or what your social media might do. So there's that aspect of it. And like the thing for me that I find incredibly the thing, the reason that I turn up every week with this thing is basically that I get to talk to people. I get to talk to authors mm-hmm. and I get to find out more about, you know, how different people do things and, um, you know, ask all my questions that I always have. And so I find it, you know, incredibly uh, inspirational and motivational for myself from that perspective. Is that what it has done for you? Because the other the flip side of that, of course, is that it takes a huge amount of time. Um, which mm. I would also put out there. It does take a huge amount of time. Um, so, you know, there's always that, that as you've got to, got to weigh up all of those things. And, do, you know, do you find that it has impacted your writing career in positive ways, negative ways? Like how has it worked for you? Yeah, definitely in positive ways, as you say, in terms of the people that you connect with, just the joy of speaking about writing and, you know, sort of recording it and being able to put it out there and being part of that whole writing community. I think it's extended my network of writers. Um, it's definitely given me another platform, I guess, to talk about my own book as part of that and my own writing. Um, in terms of juggling the time, um, I'm not very good at time management. It's always been my one of my worst, you know, yeah. uh, sort of – um, but – it's, it is forcing me now, particularly now that I'm doing the indie thing and I'm not just the writer and the editor and the reviser, but I'm the, the publisher and the marketer and all that sort of thing as well. So I have to now really narrow down how much time I spend on things. Yes. And, yeah, it's been really good in that, you know, lately we have been doing um, like a recording a week or sometimes even more for the podcast um, and I try and read the books before I speak to, to each writer. Uh, so that takes up a lot of time. So it's actually really forcing me to schedule my time more. You know, I've bought myself a whiteboard. <laughs> I've Ooh, got everything written on the whiteboard. A yeah, whiteboard. <laughs> um, so it's actually, <laughs> it's actually been good for me that way. Um, yeah, it, it's it's forced me to become a better time manager. All right. Well, okay, let's talk about that because given how busy you are with all of the things, you are writing a novel. How do you fit the writing in? Like where mm. where do you put that into your – on your whiteboard, shall we say? Yeah. I don't think that's actually made it to the whiteboard Oh, no. Yet. <laughs> put it on the whiteboard. It's the priority, oh, no, remember? It's got to get on the whiteboard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to drag myself out of bed earlier each morning. Um, I used to be a morning person when I was younger, but that has, yeah, changed. Um, And I'm a bit more of a night owl, but I can't write at night either because I just find my brain is too dead. So I am trying to drag myself out of bed earlier and to use, you know, a couple of hours in that when I say earlier, I'm only talking like six. I know some people do get up at like 4 a.m. and I wish I was one of them. Um, But, yeah, to try and get up and at least get the words done before I – launch into, you know, the podcast or, or whatever it else I've got to do for the day or the marketing or the research. So, yeah, trying to get the words out of the way because uh, I'm in the drafting stage for this mm. new book um, and, yeah, making sure that they're done as a priority before sort of moving on to the rest because at the end of the day, the, the writing of the books is the most important thing. Okay. So the million-dollar question, I guess, is having experienced, you know, both traditional and indie publishing, you know, is indie publishing something that you would do again or will do again? Um, Look, the jury's out a little bit. I wouldn't say I I wouldn't do it because it's still fairly early days. Certainly in terms of putting the book together and getting it out, I I would definitely do it again. Yeah. I'm now finding that the whole letting people know about it, the marketing side of it, I'm, is a lot more difficult than I probably anticipated. Right. Uh, even though I did have a lot of those skills already. But it's also, you know, I'm always about learning and finding new ways of, of doing things. So I am learning a lot. And if I ever did go back to tra- traditional publishing, I know I could then transfer some of those things that I've learned back into that world. So, Definitely. you know, a lot of authors now are hybrid. They yeah. sort of have both traditional and indie books, and I, I think that could be where I end up sitting. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, we're yeah. going to finish up today. Um, obviously, people can visit PamelaCook.com.au and, and buy Cross My Heart um, and all your other books and check out all your 
your various bits and pieces that you have there. But we are going to finish up today with your top three tips for writers. What have you got for us, Pamela Cook? Mm. Okay, well, um, definitely my first tip would be to remember that the writing and the revision are two separate things and use two different parts of your brain. Mm. Um, If you are in draft mode, just concentrate, as you do during nano, on getting the words down so that at the end of the month or at the end of the period that you're doing your draft in, you actually have something to work with and don't worry too much about the the ins and outs and being perfect at that point. Um, you know, put that editor's hat on later when you're in revision stage. Yep. So that would be my first tip, I guess. Um, the second tip would be to um, just always have something ready to write down an idea like I use my phone a lot now and I know this is a this is a common tip but it's so true I never can remember something later (laughs) I'll often think oh that's a great little idea for a story or I could put that into my story you know the current one I'm writing it's gone by the time I get home so either use your voice recorder on your phone or your notes in your phone and just write it down even if it's an abbreviated form um And the other one is, I think, to be part of the writing world is to actually, um, you know, connect with other writers. I'm in a writing group, which I love. I've been in a writing group now for about 14 years and absolutely love it. Um, I go to conferences, I talk to other writers, I meet other writers, and you get so much inspiration, so much support and so much help for them that I think it's definitely a great thing to Mm, be doing. Definitely. All right, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Pamela. Best of luck with your new book and your new role as an indie publisher. And um, we look forward to seeing, you know, where it all goes and what happens next. Thanks, Al. Great to talk to you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, there you go, Pamela Cook. Great interview, Al. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was really enjoyable. Like it, uh, I, you know, I think that um, we would have learned a lot there because I certainly learned some things uh, just mm. from the conversation that we mm. had. And I found that, you know, it's interesting because – doesn't matter what side of publishing you sit on, whether you, you know, whether it's traditional or whether it's indie, you know, there's there's various pros and cons to to both sides of that. And I think that she has done a good job there of of, you know, comparing and contrasting those things. Mm, absolutely. All right. So we're almost at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, I'm wrangling my boys back to school. So that's always, you know, a highly entertaining time of the year for yeah. me. Um We've got about a week left of school holidays and we've got, you know, oh, so many things to do, socks to buy and shoes to buy <laughs> and just stuff, you know. Um, and uh, I'm copy editing my novel, which is coming oh, out yes. in September this year. Yeah, so mm. I've got uh, got to get my head around that. So it's it's kind of weird. It's been a bit of a slow start to the year for me, with, for, you know, for various reasons. But now that I'm, you know, back on deck, it's kind of like 100 million percent full steam ahead yes yes wow so you you didn't um do any editing or writing when you were overseas on your trip no I got my structural edit in like two days before I left mm. um which was great because then I just did not have to think about it at all while I was away um which you know I really needed like it's been a really busy few years and uh, it was good just to be not having to think about anything for a while Mm. um so you know um now I'm back and the copy edit is about to arrive or has I think probably arrived today actually I've got to check my post box um but yeah I'm it's so I'm just you know straight back into it I it's got I've got a very short turnaround on it because of the 
of the delay or because I've been away and stuff. I've got a very short turnaround on it. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot of work to do in a short space of time. And, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to diving back into that world again and, you know, reacquainting mm. myself because I have actually – it's funny how you can just completely wipe wipe it from your mind entirely. Yes. Which is not a bad thing because it will allow me to come back to it with a very fresh, you know, approach, um, which I think is good because I think the the fresher you are, the more you see all of the things that you need to yes, see absolutely. when you're copy editing a book. Yeah. So So true. All right. What about you? Um, what are you doing? Well your lunar oh, festivaling. You're gonna I be will super be preparing busy. For a luminous, numinous <laughs> Duminous. <laughs> All right, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontate.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and I'm actually doing a lot during the festival of behind the scenes stuff and um uh you know just really interesting shots about what's going on in my Instagram stories so if you want to have a look there that's where it's going to be and of course you'll find me at valeriecoo.com that's k h o o and you'll find all of the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au thanks for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 